Mr. Frederick Jensen, to introduce him, the shaman, the teacher, the seer, with honor. Start the music. And listen here Flesh and blood can't get you there Where will you be when you hear the sound? Yeah, when the trumpet sounds Well, good brother, it's that time. Make your mark in the world. Frederick Jensen, you are alive. Well, I certainly hope so, because I wouldn't make a good zombie. <laughs> Greetings and blessings. We welcome the mega host, Daryl, Odin, Mary, Bradwell from, where are you from, Mary? Well, Australia, Australia Queensland. <laughs> you have done a tremendous amount of significant and, from my point, arduous work over a lifetime of gathering data and helping people in relationship to alien, um, transformation, DNA transformation, genetic coding, raising our awareness, and the new people, the new, the new, um, the next generation of um, super beings. You've written um, two books that I know of, and are you not working on a third one right now? Um, I'm writing a chapter for a book that's going to be released by the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute, which will be all about people's multidimensional experiences, from doctors to all professionals. And I'm writing for the first time, Frederick, a little bit about my own personal story, which is much harder to do than um, writing about other people's experiences because you start to feel very vulnerable when you start owning up to how weird some people are likely to view you. I can understand that entirely. I, I do. Um, you have exposed some very enlightening developmental issues and practices surrounding working with those vulnerabilities, though, 
uh, from way back when, when even mentioning that, you know, he, they'd be finding that little oubliette to toss you down. So we've come a long way since then. Um, and what do you see, what do you see evolving for human development in this way? Well, I'm hoping that the chapter I'm writing for the book where we've, we've got medical doctors, physicists, psychologists, as well as, you know, what I call the broad range of our society, opening up about their multidimension experiences, along with whatever professional credentials they have, which is, is really the step to disclosure. If, you know, to me, this is what disclosure is. This is us finally owning our truth, owning our true experiences and not creating what has been a very limited consensus view of reality, which we have been all pretending is all there is to reality, when in fact, I believe it is part of our genetic heritage to be multidimensional. And the problem has been from the Cartesian view of a me mechanistic um, individual where only our senses, our physical senses are valid. I believe everyone can access their multidimensional abilities. But the problem has been once you start owning that, then we get um, all the judgments from consensus psychology which is saying you can't have those experiences because if you do, you're either imaginative, fantasizing or mentally ill in some way. And, and that has been what has been the problem in the, the, you know, trying to support people with this experience, because once they opened up to their multidimensional experiences and started seeing beings and, you know, energy fields, for example, orbs of light, um, angelic beings, fairies, doesn't matter, then immediately they're afraid to go to um, what we would call a more traditional psychologist or psychiatrist for some kind of enlightenment around it, simply because most of them are, realize that as soon as they do, then they're going to be seen in the crazy basket and end up with medications and hospital. So this has been the dilemma of so many people accessing this because they are, are trying to work it out. But who do you go to to work it out when most people will judge that as an aberration, as something wrong with you? That has to change if we are to really truly own who and what we are, which is multidimensional beings. So my coming out of the closet, as it were, more openly in writing, <laughs> writing a little bit of my story and every, you know, I'm one of, I honestly believe, Frederick, that I was far too normal to ever be intuitive in the way that I saw clairvoyance and mediums and so it was a gift that only certain people had. I certainly never dismissed it because I was brought up with a spiritual base, but never in my wildest dreams did I think Mary was capable of that because she was far too normal. That was my perception of Mary. <laughs> People would laugh at that now, calling me the alien lady. But anyway, that was my perception, Frederick. So when I discovered that I had this ability, it took me a long time to believe it. Because is it real? Or am I kidding myself? You know, am I just 
wanting to believe that I can. And that is, and, and for me, the experiences I had within a group of very credible people, two clinical psychologists, one of them was a nursing sister as, and one was a naturopath. I was in a group and I remember thinking to myself, well, if I'm going crazy or round the bend, I'm going in good company because they're, they're doing this along with me. So that was what opened me up to the realization, everyone, if I can do it, you can, everyone can. And a lot of my work like you is to help them access that um, in a grounded way where they can operate with it in balance and harmony, which is ultimately what I think is our, is our heritage. Imbibing a feeling of safety, engendering um, yeah. comfort is, you would say, then very key to being able to express these attributes that are natural, like proprioception in the dark, where you're not running into objects because you've developed a very good night vision for small illuminations you can see very well but then feeling comfortable on having those understandings might be something else and yeah and and, and for me one of the biggest issues with those having encounters with these non-human intelligences whether they see them as light beings angels um uh, religious figures, um, they all Uncle Joe that's died or whatever. Um, the, the, the thing that a lot of them are fearful of is the beliefs that contain those ex experiences. Because if they come from a very traditional um, belief system, for example, a Christian belief system that calls them demons, for example, um, then you're not going to allow yourself to access that because you're fearful that if you do, demons are going to get you. So thankfully my training in multi-dimensional awareness, we did everything, remote viewing, um, remote healing, channeling, overshadowing, psychometry, dowsing. We did, the, we did the gamut of all of that. And it was some of the experiences very early on that proved to me that this was not fantasy, this was not imagination. The information was accurate, I could verify it. And the experiences I had, when I had them, I didn't even know what it was I was experiencing. So I hadn't projected it in any way because it just happened. And nobody was more shocked than I was when certain things happened because I, I didn't even know what it was I was experiencing until I had it explained to me. So I knew it wasn't my imagination. I knew I, you know, that I wasn't projecting it because I didn't even know what it was. Those were the convincing movements through my three years of apprenticeship, as I call it. But what it did do, which give me some tools to know how it works. And a lot of my work now is when someone's coming to me, they're having all of this, they don't know how to create an operating system with it that feels safe and comfortable. I call it the operating system. Whereas, let me show you how it works. 
you're riding the bike, but you don't know where the brakes are. You don't know where you switch on the lights. <laughs> you know, you don't want, you don't know how fast to go. Let me show you how that works. And then you've got the operating system to integrate it in a healthy, balanced and grounded way. Cause you need to be more grounded, not less when you open up multidimensionally. So my three years training was invaluable but then I spent two years teaching it to groups so that I really had to rely on my source to facilitate the group because the source was facilitating the group, not me. So I really had to tap into that. I couldn't do it otherwise. Things would happen in the group that I would have no understanding of until I said, hey guys, what do I do here? <laughs> you know? And, and then I would be guided with the, the meditation would be guided. They'd show me what I needed to say. Everything that happened that I was unsure of, they would actually give me information. There's nothing like that for showing you that you have to trust that source because yeah. I had no other way of understanding things. So after five years, then it gave me the grounding that enabled me uh, um, to do this. And I, Frederick, I wondered what I was supposed to do with it. You know, okay, so I can do this now. What am I supposed to do with it? And I felt very strongly that the most important thing I could do was when people come to me and they're seeking help and support, um, etc. is I can offer all of that, but I say to them, but you can do what I can do. Let me show you because if I show them how to ride the horse, I don't have to do the riding anymore, <laughs> you know, they can do it. And so my, my, that was what made the most sense to me is let me show you how easy this is and how natural it is and why you don't need to fear it. But if you work with it, you're finally gonna understand more about your life and why you're here what matters and all those big questions that you're seeking, you will find access to the answers and the understanding. It won't come through this little 3D mirror that you're looking at, it will come from this. So that's a lot of my work is showing them how to manage their awakening or, or their access to the, that, that, that greater reality and not be afraid of it and not run away from it. It's a great gift also um, in listening to what you're saying. You're also, it's also an initiation into being comfortable with who you are. Um, that's like looking at young children or not young children, but teenagers, the, the abstractness of trying to be normal in a world that is anything other than that where abstract art and surreal art are the actual norm because nobody there's not just vanilla even vanilla is not just vanilla they add something to it in one way or another in order to create it to be that way you have french vanilla and vanilla with crushed vanilla beans in it and you have extra creamy vanilla and here you're giving a a tool and a 
conscious roadmap to awareness in practice. And, and I say to them, Frederick, you know, you don't, this is bringing it into the conscious. This is not doing it so they're in trance or they're in an altered state. So that this is, ac they're accessing it in their everyday life, in whatever they're doing, they can access it. So this isn't about, oh, I've got to go into trance to get an answer here, or I've got to, you know, if I'm doing this, I've got to be, and no, you don't. Once you have that connection and that energetic signature of your team, whether that's your life guide or your extended guys that are supporting you, you get to know the different energetic signatures of every being you're interacting with. You get them to give you their credentials, which means, okay, you're giving me this information, now prove it. Now show me this is valid. And they will need to do that for me. This is not, you know, oh, well, you know, just, just take it all on board. No, it'd be the same as if I'm, as I'm speaking to you, you may tell me things. Some of them resonate, some of them may not. And they will need to resonate with me for me to take them on board. Because that's, uh, that's what we're also being taught to do, which is to um, use our resonance to truth because that's all we've got in the end of the day, when we hear all this information, what, what do you believe? What do you choose to believe? And, and this is important to be in touch with that resonance. So, okay, guys, I need to know that's accurate, it's the truth, and I might get a buzz of energy go straight through me, or I look and I see 11, 11 on the, tele, uh, on the on the phone, or I pick up a book and there it is in front of me. There'll be some synchronicity that will validate that information and, and give it to me as a, as a truth. Those are the things I say look for as well. This is not just about you taking whatever. I meet many intuitives that come to me and they may do readings, they may be really accurate, etc. And I say to them, so who's your team? Who's your life guide? And they'll look at me and say, well, I don't really know. I just, they just give me stuff. And I said, don't you think, given the fact that they're your best friend, you're talking to your best friend behind a wooden door, don't you think it's time for you to open the door and find out who they are? <laughs> uh, yes. The more, you, the more you know about your team, the more confidence you're going to have in them, the more you're going to trust them. Because that's what you do with your best friend. You know all about your best friend. You know what their likes and dislikes, you know, you know where they're coming from and whatever. This is the same relationship that you want with your team. You need to know you can trust them, that when you get information, it's going to have integrity and it's going to be useful. Because that's the other thing I say to my team is make it useful because I'm in a third dimensional reality. I don't want the fluff. You know, I don't want all the fancy words and all the rest. I want to know it's useful and, and, and valid for me in my operating system down here. So that what I say to my uh, those that come to me, look at what your intent is. What is your intent for that connection? Is it of the highest spiritual truths or are you saying, I, I just want to be famous? <laughs> because you're going to get the frequency that you're putting out. So be very clear. Yeah very clear about the frequency that you're calling in and make sure it's of the frequency that you want. Now, what do you, how do you work into um, 
people that come to you who have been aware of of these I call them guides, but uh, teachers uh, since they were very young, children. What's wonderful about the children and what I say to people is, you know, that they access consciously that's that other multidimensional side of themselves without any issue until they're told it's not okay or people don't believe them, then they start to doubt themselves. So one of the things that I'm very clear of when I'm talking to children is I'm extremely open to their, um, them, them reading me. And because one of the things that was interesting to me was when a nine-year-old said he wanted to talk to me because of my frequency. So you can't lie to these kids. When I talked to a seven-year-old that told me he could tell when people lie or tell the truth to him, and I asked him what it felt like. And he said, well, when they lie, I go all cold. And when they speak the truth, I feel warm. He has his own measures um, resonance to how he will um, interact with you or trust you. We have to, we have to ex understand they are really good at reading you. So you need to have that integrity. You need to be very careful I remember one woman who had a three-year-old daughter and she was writing to me about her dilemma. And her dilemma was that her daughter had been telepathic since birth. She could read everyone that she came in contact with. And her mother said, my biggest difficulty, Mary, she's now three years old and it is monitoring my thoughts because she can still read them. And, you know, it's very hard always to think on those higher levels of spiritual uh, uh, love and et cetera. We all get very human sometimes and we lose the plot and can get negative and whatever. But this is what they're teaching us. You've got to walk your talk. It isn't what you do. It is what your thinking is and what you're putting out. And this is how we're going to get to that next level. But to get to it, we've got to be aware of what we're doing. And these children are teaching us that. So where practice is quantum, huge. Yeah. And, and this is the, the thing that I've learned from them is that because I know now that they can see beyond the masks and when they see beyond the masks, you have to be, you have to look at yourself and say, right, what am I conveying energetically to these children? because they're not going to trust you if you've got agendas, because they'll read you and they'll know. So it, it really is challenging us to walk our talk in every sense of the word. And I'm very, very aware of that, that I have to come from that place of heart and from that place of integrity. And that's how we grow <laughs> when we start looking at what we're conveying to everyone, not just the children. Are we coming from that place? And it's it's a work in progress for all of us, isn't it? You know, always being conscious, being here, present in the moment, to be able to use that awareness is a huge. Uh, well, one, it's an inconvenience. <laughs> it takes monitoring yourself here yeah. mostly. Um, and not getting too caught up in thought, 
because thought takes us places that we don't necessarily need to be while we're genuineness is present. It's not two days from now. It's not last year and it's not over the horizon. It walks with us. Um, in uh, talking to um, people over many years, it is a oddity, you would think, that some of the constrictions that exist in human society, two-leggers, not including um, that for those who are native or indigenous to a land, this is an accepted phenomenon that it is those of us who are educated who have issues with, let's say, standing naked, that just the whole, I'm, I'm just, this is me, yeah. I'm present before you. If it's embarrassing, I've got to work through it, but I'm present before you. And working through those barriers of psycho-religial belief that you, you have to go through somebody else in order to get something, in order to be in touch with a deific force or in order to understand your guides, in order to understand yourself. And returning to a time of innocence is very uncomfortable for people that are used to absolute or what they believe absolute control is. So how do we break those barriers where we see that the control of what we call education is starting to break down the freedom of the indigenous populace into thinking that they need to walk one way? It's a good question. And I think that anyone that's expanding into more of the, an understanding of themselves and who they are as a soul, um, that, that I think changes everything in terms of how you view your life, what's important, how you relate to those around you. Once you get this sense, we're all connected and we're all part of each other. There's no us and them anymore. So there's none of the judgments around color, um, religion or whatever. We're all souls having a human journey. And for me, it's been a lifelong shift into where I am now from going from, you know, uh, a, a Catholic upbringing, which I'm grateful for, for many reasons. Last vestige of Western mysticism. <laughs> where there were some really good bits to it, and there's bits to it that um, didn't resonate ultimately for me. But it was a good, um, help me understand those constraints, because the dogma and its controls, and how we can be controlled through spiritual beliefs or religious beliefs or whatever. So it got me to challenge hypocrisy 
for example, and to go into that, the baseline of that uh, belief system and, and see where it's been altered, changed and manipulated. And I did that with everything. I'm one of these, I did it with archaeology, finding out we weren't told the truth. Um, you know, this- Well, that's very clear now. <laughs> you know, all the things that are, are being, you know, that have not been, uh, we've not been told the truth about in terms of the origin of the species, for example. So you start to break down those, those um, educational barriers that set you into a certain box and you start to see the inaccuracies, the editing and what have you. So the, the wonderful journey of exposing more of the truth through what was not the truth was an important one for me. Um, so I looked at everything, archeology, span um, science, religion, theology, parapsychologies, um, the supernatural, the whole gamut was my, um, was part of my education ultimately, but it was not what I had been programmed into. I, I had to learn to let go of certainty. I had to let go of everything that seemed to make sense for a while, but suddenly didn't make sense and say, right, what is now my world? What is my reality? And I make a joke about that saying, I believe I'm standing on an ice flow that is my reality at the moment. And any time I get new information, that's likely to melt. And I'm gonna have to jump and make a new ice flow because <laughs> that's, as you expand, you have to re, you know, uh, re, revisit what will now fit into that. Once you're okay with that, the not knowing, the fact that anything could change tomorrow, it's actually a fun ride because you start to realize some wonderful uh, or get some wonderful insights into how magnificent this human journey is, how amazing it is. And that for me is, you know, this constant adventure where you feel almost like Agatha Christie, you know, you're trying to join the dots to the, to make up the, the to find the answer to the mystery and the, the dots encompass the universe. How amazing is that? We still, I'm sure you know that I, I, I'm going to die still not knowing so much that I wanna know, but the journey has been fascinating because what it does you find yourself letting go of judgment for a start because you realize you can't, when you've done a lot of uh, past life regressions as I've done, and you take somebody through a past life and they go over the death sequence where they see their body and they see their spirit leaving the body, going into another dimension where they're supported by the, the, the loved ones that, uh, that, where they have passed into that realm. And I'll say to them, so what did you learn in that other life? And they'll say quite spontaneously, or oh, I learned about compassion, or I learned about limits, or I learned about X, Y, and Z, but I didn't do so well in this one, so I'm going to have to have another go at that. And then they talk about coming into this life, choosing their parents and their siblings for different parts of their growth and journey this time, the challenges they create for themselves in this lifetime it completely changes the way you look at what's happened in your life. Because if you are a co-creator of that, you've got to say, what is it I, my soul wanted to experience to learn from this 
challenging experience, for example. We have the choice, yes, to either be a victim or to learn and grow from it. There's the choice. And so what should we do? Everyone's having a go at me. It's a terrible life and everything's evil. Or do we say, hold on a minute. Through that experience, I was able to help so many others because I understood what it felt like. I understood through empathy uh, of that. So I see everything now as a mirror to learning. So every, okay, so why have I chosen this experience now? What's it showing me? I'm not asking everyone to take that perspective. It's my perspective because of the hundreds of past life regressions where I have seen how the person has described what they've grown through their experiences um, and their soul connections to these, these um, souls that come into each lifetime with them in their soul group and have, have taken different roles, for example, in, the, in, each, in each life. So, you know, I would say to somebody in a past life, um, so look around the table, they may be sitting having a family dinner. And I said, and I want you to look at your mother. Don't, do you recognize her? And they'll go, oh yes, that's my auntie Joan. And then yeah. I said, um, uh, look, look, at, look at your brother. Who does he remind you of? Oh, he reminds me of my dad. And I'm saying, now, can you see? Can you see how this works? How we're teaching each other how to understand from experience, how to grow, how to learn, how to be um, uh, a new kind of aware individual that it's all about the, the human journey and growth. That's where I come from. Now, not everyone is gonna get that or want to get it or believe that their experiences are um, in any way useful to them, especially if they've been painful. But it's usually through the greatest pain, we have the greatest learning. And I say, and they'll say, oh, it's because I've been a bad person in another life. I say, no, it's because you are a special soul that really wants to grow really fast. You are amazing to have picked such a huge challenge in this life. This isn't about you being a bad soul or anything of the sort. It means you're just extremely courageous because you've chosen a really challenging way to grow. And look at what that effect is when I, you know, we look at what they've gained from it. And you think, oh my goodness, well, I did get to understand this. I'm saying, yeah, and what about else? What else did you gain out of it? Oh, I learned about X, Y, and Z. Right. Was it worth it? So it's about reframing everything in a way that I believe we're a conscious co-participant of our evolution. And that is the frame that I use, which makes the most sense to me. I'm not saying you've got to believe any of that. You may, it may not you make said, any sense to you, but it does to me. You said something, a cherry that I picked out, it's, it's a quirk of my own, but in the discussion of an individual going through a time has many choices. They can say, this is a good experience, this is a bad experience, this is a rotten experience. However, 
in the end, you really can't judge your impact on people yourself. And one thing that we have this big conversation amongst people on karma. Yes. It's misappropriated and directed in so many different ways to the point that people feel like if somebody gets run over, they must have done something to deserve it rather than how they worked with that particular situation and what they got out of it or what kind of life did they have or how we not live with a situation, but we adapt to it or we adopt a different nature over it. Um, really is one of those energy personifications that allows for this gentle persuasion of energies. It's like laughing and people can laugh with you, but if you try to make people laugh, yeah. they get all grinchy about it. But you set up an aura in doing that, in your development, that allows for people to look at things differently. For instance, self-disclosure, I had heart surgery in January. Um, I spent some terrible time after that disconnected from everything. Uh, it felt, uh, felt like punishment. I was talking to somebody and he said, wow, really? After all you've been through in the last two years, we're surprised you're even alive. Um, then they went on to say, but you know, that's really inspirational because you, you have, you know, you find something happy or something inspirational and you're not giving up. Uh, some people call it Pollyannaism. <laughs> However, I had a professor once that said, if you attune to problems or if you live problems or all you see is the sort of Damocles, certainly you eventually be penetrated by something similar. Yeah. A reference to uh, a shift in the dynamic force of this planet where we resonate in an association with a higher vibration or a different outlook. Is that not similar to that? Is that not a step inside of that direction? I think so. I think, Frederick, it is absolutely that. What we're being tasked to do is to really um, move into that higher awareness where we understand that we're a collective, that we're all part of each other. And once you do that, everything, all the barriers go. It doesn't matter, you know, I, I say to people, you know, it's funny in a not funny way that, you know, people will have problems with different races, whatever color, whatever shape their eyes are and whatever I'm saying. Do you not realize that you've probably been 
in every one of those cultures at some point in your many lives. You've been black, white, yellow, pink, green, whatever. So how can you possibly have an issue with any of them? Because you've been there with a lot of them anyway. You've also been probably somebody really horrible quite a few times and been really dark. And you've, you know, you've, you've also perhaps been saints and all the rest of it. So once you, you get this sense, and of course, we've all been ETs as well, you know, we've been, you know, bald headed guys with black eyes, blue beings, energy beings, light beings, we've, we've been right. all of that. We've been all of it. So once you get this sense of that, the sense of what the soul is and, and how we've inhabited various forms, we've, we've explored the dark side as well as the light side, you know. Um, at the end of the day, what has the meaning for you now? What is it that you as a soul want to achieve in this lifetime, you know, in terms of your legacy? And I'll go back to my Catholic upbringing that said, you know, the person that had the 10 talents and didn't use them, buried them against the one that actually used all their talents. And I, I, that has stayed with me. And I thought, you know what, what I've got as a legacy to my kids is example, you know, is mum who is trying to be everything she can be um, in the best way she knows how. And if that makes sense to them, then I feel that's not a bad legacy. But the important thing was that I wanted to show them that for me, the masks that we put on for people to please them, to fit in and all the rest of it. I always felt, I did a lot of grief and bereavement uh, uh, counseling and hospice. And when mm. people are faced with their death, then it's, it's very, um, it's something that really focuses you, you know, when you know you're gonna die. And for me, I took their experience and I thought to myself, when I'm on my deathbed, what is it I want as the takeaway for my kids? And I thought, is it the Mary that pleases everyone, puts on the mask and she's the nurse and she's the healer and she's all these different things and um, whatever, but um, what is it they're gonna take from me? And the one thing I wanted them to take from me was the fact that I decided no matter for my, all my sins of being weird and wonderful and perhaps saying things that may make people uncomfortable, at the end of the day, mum was mum. Mum, that was who we're grieving is that Mary, not the one that had all the pretty masks and always said the right things and never upset anybody or whatever. Mum sometimes upset us. Mum sometimes said things that embarrassed us. And mum, you know, was a bit weird, but that at least is what they're gonna grieve is the real Mary, not the pretend one. Not the, the one that I, you know, that you did as, as you're growing up, you're trying to do all the right things, be the whatever, but that's not you. So the legacy is, you know, be yourself, breathe that unique, wonderful soul that you are. You've come here with your own unique awareness and understanding. Bring that to this planet, because that's now what we need if we're to change the system on this planet now. And that is, is really where my motivation is. My legacy is to encourage people to own their weirdness. And if you see things other people don't, great. Tell them about it, you know, 
<laughs> because what is reality? We don't even know what reality is. We go around thinking we've got reality and we've got all this other stuff that we're not seeing. And how can we possibly say, how can anyone say what reality is? Because we don't know. No one's got the mandate on reality. So let's bring in our perspectives of our, our reality and our experience to really be true to that. And when we realize that we're being true to it, you're gonna find out many other people are seeing the emperor's got no clothes as well. And isn't that gonna be liberating? <laughs> Except for this time, the emperor will realize that he doesn't have clothes on and he's just going, <laughs> yeah. be free. Yeah. And I think that we've come here. Um, one of the interesting things, a good friend of mine who many years ago was into all the conspiratorial stuff and, he, you know, he'd had the, the whole thing to do with the helicopters and, you know, the, the black cars and all this other really dark stuff. And he challenged all of that. He wrote about it um, in depth, symbology, everything. Amazing, amazing man. And I said to him, you know, I said, don't you get scared sometimes, L? I said, because of being in that and, and what's going to happen. He said, Mary, I've been on planet Earth quite a few times and I've been doing the same thing and they've taken me out. He says, I just come back and do it again. <laughs> And I thought, you know what? I like that. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, that makes sense to me. So when you realize that this is just one part of an eternal journey, um, that the main thing, if you want to follow, follow that, that star that you come in with, is really, are you going to live it to the max, to all that you are, or are you going to wait for another lifetime? and then decide whether you're gonna do it or not, or do it now, you know? One of the interesting perspectives when somebody's dying is you might have two people, one who, know, both of them know they're gonna die within three months. And you'll have one of them saying, God's evil, I shouldn't be dying, this isn't fair, I hate everybody, I hate this life because I'm now dying and all the rest of it. You've got the, the other person saying, do you know what? Ever since I've known that I've got this illness, it's made me look at everything in a completely different way. I recognize the beauty of everything. I go outside and I see the sunshine and the beautiful leaves and plants. Everything I look at is magical now. And the perspective of that has been what it's offered them, the gift in that, in that experience. So you have a choice. You've always got a choice to decide how you want to view any experience. And it's, and that to me is where the, you know, the choice is. Do you want to see it from this point or the other one? Other people say to me, you know, how do you know there's life after death? And I said, well, I don't absolutely know. I have a feeling and a knowing that there's life after death. I said, but the bottom line is, how are you gonna feel if you think, oh, in six months time, I'm going to be exterminated because I'm gonna be dead? Or you have the thought, you know what? When I die, I'm I'm going to meet all my best friends all the family and all the rest of it and whatever and just say to yourself well, which which kind of thought would you like in your mind for the next six months i know right. which one i'd rather have because you know no one can say for cert but i know the the perspective that i i need 
to get through those six months compared to the other one. So there's the choice. There it is, right there. Awesome. You know what I forgot to do? Turn the light on in my room. So <laughs> you I have to gotta turn the light on. I'm getting darker and darker as we're having this conversation. <laughs> it's not all tan. <laughs> I'll be right back. Okay. My, my, my. This show is just rocking. And Mary, you are incredible. As I said, I, I have to say it out loud. You, she is the supreme teacher in knowing what's in the heart, where it came from. And I, Frederick, you got the best guests that I could ever recommend you, man. The minds, the, the heart, you both are just incredible. Blessings to you both. I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Daryl. You're with the light now, Frederick. Ah, here we are. Yes, I am. See, look at this. <laughs> that is exceedingly wonderful. I have um, I have two grandchildren, uh, and the older one, um, he's well. They're both very loving. All children have their own characteristics. And I, um, and when I when I look at those things, I, I tend to think of them uh, a little bit um, like uh, Elizabeth Montessori, uh, some running over into Einstein, um, others across the world who believe that children are all special beings. Everybody learns at their own way. So if you want somebody to understand mathematics and they have an interest in engines and you want them to understand then that there is a definitive um, interest that goes with engines but also the step forward into space engines space flight dynamics propulsion as a interesting group of funny people we have patents that go back to 18 the perpetual motion goes back to 1880 patents on that the electric engine um, time travel but children specifically they don't know color until that's what they're taught I'm not talking about your red and your yellow and your blues. Um, the, the identification with someone is, well, one food, but <laughs> the other one is, uh, it's, but it's nutrients-based. And they don't identify with skin color. They identify with persona, what emanates from the core of a being and many times they call themselves magic and they see things in that perspective um, 
they identify with the sun and the moon in uh, a very special way in a very, uh, I say native, but that would go with any indigenous people across the planet. And they're very accepting of that. They're not judgmental of themselves until people start judging them and telling them that they cannot do something. And we were talking about system when our system is still set up to create factory workers and we don't have many of those. But more specifically, it's set up to put people in nice boxes and then stack those boxes neatly on other boxes, which are also people. And after that, we take all those special qualities and we send them to high school where they're taught that you can question all you want as long as you do what we tell you to do and don't defy authority. This is I've seen it in shamanic groupings, but mostly it's a, an educated perception of needing to put other people on a higher shelf. Yeah. You know, authority has rule, but there is no authority, no actual authority in that authority I think you understand what I'm saying. The priest is no important than the doctor. The doctor is no more important than the nurse. And on a good day, you find two of them that in a humanistic way will acknowledge the core of your being and engender a sense of faith, compassion, and beneficence. However, children, that's the basis of the commitment. We'll, we'll step aside from the moon and all the hormones that they're going through at the time, needing to be fed that causes everybody to be irascible. How do you see society developing in a way that allows for that permutation of spirit to be included in being in, in being treated and being human. You can't have a unbiased treatment of anybody if this is not included in. Frederick, it's a good question, and one of the things that, and I'm, you know, I'm not uh, um, educated as an educator at all. I'm just looking at the common sense approach. No, but you are a mother also, so that gives you special insight. My insight is this. I have felt for a long time that education has moved away from being a life skill for people simply because they only are looking for the academic, the scientist, et cetera, et cetera. They're not looking for the, um, to really support creativity um, on, you know, from crafts to, to any of those other 
um, levels of, of um, uh, talents with these new children. And it was funny because I was asked that question by a lady doing a PhD on spiritual children in Dublin. And she said to me, I'll be talking to a lot of educators, Mary. What do you reckon I should be saying to them? What do you think um, should be part of the curriculum or what, what is it that they need? Cookies and milk. <laughs> I actually said something I think she was shocked when I said, forget it all and start again. Because these children are coming in with awareness that is incredible. They already have the information they need because they're being taught on spacecraft or elsewhere out of body most of the time anyway. They have access to their own teams on top of that. We need to just provide the space, a loving, caring, non-judgmental space where we make sure they eat properly and we make sure that we look after their human needs. But we allow them the space to be what they've come here to be to teach us and tell us what they need. So it's going to be a reversal of roles. It's going to be them saying, this is what I need to be what I've, you know, to bring in what I've come, the understanding I've come in with. Because when you get a child telling you that he's a center seed, he's connecting to the center of the planet, he's going to help with pollution on this planet. You get another eight-year-old saying they're communicating with animals and they're to teach humans how to treat animals with respect. You get another one that says they're an archaeological engineer from Arcturus and they've come here to create a new ecology habitat for this planet. We can't get in the way of that because we don't even know what, what we're getting in the way of. So we have to be like the child and ask the child, okay, what is it that you need to be all you've come here to be? And make sure they eat properly, make sure they sleep properly and all the things, the human things we can teach them how to be human. But what they've come in with and the skills they've come in with are a whole new level and we will just get in the way. I remember this 11 year old telling me that on uh, the planet he was before he came here, he came from the planet Orion. He was a light physicist and he worked on time travel technology. He said the nearest was Nikola Tesla on this planet. The rest of the scientists were just dumb. So that's what we're dealing with. And this is why I said to this wonderful lady that's doing her thesis on this, we have to start again. There is no system on this planet yet geared for these new kids but we can create the environment for them to tell us what they need so that we meet those needs because everything's going to change and is changing and will change. And they have come here for that change. That's a wonderful start. <laughs> and a base. How do we help adults who have these same talents, who know they have these same talents, overcome the geist of their bias because they were treated in a certain way 
to overcome the, the need to create another job based on squashing, on uh, reducing others, on sublimating these children. We went through this growing up, but we live in a time now where we have uh, some more advanced thinking, but a lot of the advanced thinking that we have hasn't really changed any since 1880. From 1880 to 1953, you have um, Church of Religious Science, you have Unity, you have uh, Christian Church of Christian Science. Mary Baker Eddy passed before she finished what she was writing on. Um, however, these they, there was a influx and inflow of spirit. Their writings, very poetic, very open, very much like a fine painting or abstract or surreal. If you stand and you judge the information through, it's like having to monitor or put a measurement to each stroke of your painting there's no there's no flow to it and when there's no flow the message kind of gets garbled it's easier to manipulate run off course so how do we stay open as adults or help those who are have gifts similar to the ones that they're working with feel comfortable enough to stand up and say hey you know, this this is okay you can you can do this this way and it's and it's okay now to focus on not having to have a students and things that we don't even use anymore not in that way yeah i think frederick you're doing um all all of those that are putting out information in the way that you're doing is part of that process of giving people permission to let go of those old strictures that say it's not okay there's something wrong with you you have to you have to go with with the um the consensus and whatever um and this is uh, and some people will have that activation through a near-death experience, a shamanic experience, out-of-body experience, or a grief experience, something in their life will be the catalyst for them to reappraise what they've accepted and what have you. And I think all of those that have chosen to wake up in this lifetime will have put those little markers in our life journey and said, right, there is about the good time for me to have this that's a good time to do the shamanic journey, et cetera, et cetera. And as you open up, then you inevitably start to discard what is no longer relevant to you. Um, and I've seen that in my own experience of coming from a very, you know, a fairly orthodox Catholic upbringing into learning about reincarnation, which is not okay in Catholicism. You're not allowed to have a second life. You've got to go to purgatory for the rest of it, uh, or heaven if you're lucky. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you start to question because new information comes in and the soul is, is 
has got that planned. Okay, at this point, you're going to wake up to this at this point. And then you question. And the more you question, you more, you, you, you know, you allow more information to be made available to you. It's, you know, seek and the door will be opened is in the yes. And, and this is it. You seek, you have curiosity, you want to know more. What happens is the teacher comes, the book comes, you know, the documentary or whatever it is, is the catalyst for more understanding. And then you've got to be courageous enough to own that information and work with it rather than, and, and, and one of the hardest things for people with encounters with non-human intelligence is, you've got a whole mainstream society that thinks anyone who sees aliens is crazy. So you're dealing with that part of you that wants to um, explore and understand this, but is afraid to because you don't want to be seen as crazy or your family is too fearful to hear what you have to say. So you're dealing with other people's fear and their disconnect. You're dealing with society's judgment and you're, you're faced with the fact you're seeing light beings at night. What do you do about that? How do you, do you decide to just ignore it and pretend it didn't happen? Or the choice is, if I look at this, then I'm on my own. I've got to actually then um, honor my own experience. And that's hard to do. So one of the important things others like, are, uh, like that are doing is putting out their stories so that people can have something to connect to. So it's not just them. The isolation and the fear is the biggest. When you think it's just you having that experience, the amazing thing is that there are millions out there having that experience, that this is a, a consciousness of the planet that is being activated into a whole new awareness. It isn't just a few here and there. You're not on your own. All you've got to do, though, is take that step. And that step is scary, if, particularly if you've got a lot to lose. You've got a PhD in X, Y and Z or, you, you know, you're well uh, credentialed in other ways. You're a lawyer or you're a celebrity or you're a politician or you're a religious person. That's a, I know one minister of religion that's in my book, The New Human, who speaks about for 40 years, he's been preaching certain dogma, knowing in his heart that he'd had experiences in reincarnation. He was aware of that and ET experiences, finally coming out the space closet and saying, I have been a hypocrite because this is my true experience. Amazingly courageous to do that within and, and actually owning it, for example. So we're being challenged to own our truth, to come from that place of heart, no matter what the consequences are ultimately because that's part of that way of shifting the psyche of the planet and shifting that mechanistic view that is no longer everyone knows it's not relevant i've met so many clinical psychologists that are intuitives mediums clairvoyants i you know two of them were in the group that i was in and it was interesting because you know both of them were clinical psychologists and yet when they brought their guides in they'd have uh, their red indian guide come out with all this amazing information and they'd go back to work and they'd be looking at this piece of paper that says and now tell me are you hearing voices or whatever to the next client that's come in what is that that's indoctrination 
clinical psychologists are trained to find things wrong with people. And the funny thing about that is, <laughs> it's human nature <laughs> to want to be loved, to want to be accepted, to be want to want to be part of something. And the talents that you speak of, the talents that we bear, they tend not to engender people accepting that, even if they do do that. And going beyond that is those who have been or feel that they have been damaged by bearing those talents. the ability to shift out of that, to embrace those, it becomes even more difficult then because it uh, invalidates the suffering. <laughs> yeah. Well, hang on to the toast or the iron, red hot iron, even if it's burning us because uh, we want to be accepted, and we suffered so much um, to not expose ourselves that even though this gut-wrenching pain sits there, we will hold on to that to the last drop. Yeah. Where do we go from there, Mary? Well, that's where many coming to me are at that point where they've tried to run away from it. Um, you know, they've got so much hassle from family or relatives because of that. Let me explain one thing that a, a 10, he was a teenager when he told me this, but he said when he was 10, his family and his siblings all said, stop talking about all this stuff that you see and all this weird stuff and what have you, get in the real world and start, you know, being with us, as it were, because we're fed up of hearing all that nonsense. He said to me, Mary, I tried it. I tried staying in the box. And he said, I got so, so depressed, I almost took my own life. I was suicidal. And he said, so I made a choice. Do I stay in the box and possibly kill myself? Or do I go back to what nurtured me, what made me feel whole? And he said, and that was my choice. I decided no matter what they said, I was going to stay whole, even although it was painful because of the judgment that I got from everyone. He said, I'd even go to school and I'd be able to tune in to what was happening with Joe or Fred if they'd been abused or whatever. He said, it was so painful. But the other alternative, I couldn't live with anymore because it was dark and I just didn't want to be here. So. In the end, it's often that kind of choice is, do I integrate this and it becomes part of me despite the judgments that I may get? Or am I going to continually live a schizophrenic life where I've got this reality and this one, where I am never ever feeling whole? So there's your choice. And for many of them, the one thing, my choice around that was sort of when I got to about 50 and I remember working with people, as I say, facing their mortality. And it was like, okay, Mary, this is telling you something here. What is it you want to leave as your legacy? Because so many had regrets. 
regrets they hadn't done this with their family or shared this with their family or whatever. And I didn't want that to be me. I didn't want to go to my grave thinking I should have. Why didn't I? Or whatever. And I thought, well, people are either going to like me or not like me. They're either going to think I'm crazy or I'm, you know, I'm, you know, got Alzheimer's, whatever it is. They're going to make their judgments. But hopefully in all of that, there are going to be some that resonate to my world and my reality. And you know what? It really doesn't matter what they think, because that's really just a reflection of them anyway and their world. And that's fine. I don't need to please that person. I do need to honor what I've come here to do. So it comes, it becomes right. a spiritual challenge. You become the spiritual warrior if you want to move forward. And that's what the, the shaman does, doesn't it? The shaman has to transcend their human fears so they can operate in a multi-dimensional world. This is the shamanic journey. This is the, the, the journey we're all on, is that. Facing our fears and judgment, all the things that we get so caught up in to go into a place where we really want to be. And then you know what? Judgment really doesn't matter. I find it hilarious. <laughs> doesn't matter. It really doesn't. So we're letting go of who we've built ourselves up to be, the facade, to be who we really are and comfortable in that. Yeah and being at peace with that. And quite honestly, they call me a lot of names from the alien lady to whatever. And somebody said to me, Mary, you know, I think you're absolutely courageous. And I said, no, I'm not. I said, because I, I don't feel in the least courageous. I really just don't care what people think. That's not courage. That's just Mary doesn't care. <laughs> so you can, you can, you know, it really doesn't matter to me what somebody thinks of me. And it, the freedom that gives you is bliss. It is an absolute sense of freedom because I really don't care. You can like me or choose not to like me or, or like me. It doesn't, doesn't matter. What matters is that those at least near me put up with me and love me because that matters to me that they love me. Despite right. um, because they're the ones that I'm close to. But everybody else is everybody else. You know, what does it matter? They're entitled to their thoughts about the stuff I talk about. They're entitled to think what they like, you know, but really to me, that's just a reflection of them. That's not what the truth is. It's just, so that's not courageous. That's just like, she doesn't care. <laughs> that's a different thing. I hear you saying, in this case, Mary's comfortable with Mary. Mary loves Mary. And that extends through Mary's family, the people that yeah. are in there. For me, that's a community. Mm. Yes. I look, uh, I was just born in the wrong century by about a thousand years or so. <laughs> We had communities of talented people, gifted people, and we trained under that. Not different than uh, what we see with uh, Buddhists or in various um, areas of tribe, tribalism. Uh, and 
those abilities are nurtured and revered. And as a group, you study, you train, and you go out and you help people and you come back and you recharge. And being comfortable in your own skin and recharging in a place where you are comfortable in your own skin is, is endemically important. In India and other places where it's accepted that your daughter might actually be your Uncle Joe who passed two years ago especially when they start talking about family issues from back then to you. Um, it's, it's nurturing. That hasn't happened to me, so it might be a little unnerving also at the same time when somebody says to you, didn't I tell you not to do that in the three? Didn't I tell you that five years ago? <laughs> or your keys are over there. Um, greater global acceptance we are all connected but greater greater global acceptance and especially through the earth because we've done so many interesting things in the name of collecting mineral specimens specimens or getting rid of things and we find the dynamic of unity to becoming different as we move along now because we're also much closer together than we ever have been, just by sheer volume. And then creating those mind links affects the rest of that which does not choose to think or lives on an intention that might be different or more difficult than than the one that would normally be there. Evolution, energy, the moon, now, very intense, beautiful, but also very intense every night. There are a variety of different energies that come out from how people are feeling due to the climb of today. So is it not then, are these not some of those transformational experiences that you're talking about and creating a, a moderating energy is probably the wrong thing to say, but an energy that embraces in a way that those who are not um, sure of tomorrow are comfortable in feeling capable of laughing too in being embraced. I think you're right, Frederick, absolutely. The, 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 I think as I, I always see us almost as all creating a, um, a scenario where we can support through frequencies each other to the point where they're ready to move on. One of the ways, um, one of the, these new children were speaking to me. She's nine years old when she told me this. And she was explaining how we've, we've come in, some of us have come in more awake than others, um, depending on our, 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 where, where we choose to be as a soul. And we've all got a role in helping the one that's less awake 
to lift them up to the same frequency and we've got others helping us so it's this constant shift in in frequencies as we're coming up and we've all got a role in helping those less awake that's part of that's for and we're being helped by again in this kind of tear shape not in a hierarchy um, i'm better than you but more just more aware uh, a little bit more awake which is you know how, how we've chosen to incarnate i believe that the frequencies hitting the planet now are very important for us to wake up because of what's happening on the planet itself the the point in our evolution is critical now in terms of where we choose to find ourselves as a soul in terms of our journey and this is coming in through the cosmos you know the solar energy is coming in it's coming in for the new awake children that are activating their parents etc etc we're all activating each other from our own awareness as well so that's happening you've got the the individuals coming out with the the light languages or star languages which are all frequency there are musicians bringing in the frequencies through their music you've got these young children singing on these talent shows of 10 and 11 and if you listen to them i get i get you know this amazing fuzzy feeling as i'm thinking here's another one another star kid sending out the frequencies and they're saying oh isn't she a wonderful singer they don't realize that there's another thing going on there because they're one of the star kids bringing in the frequencies and what have you artwork um there's so much coming in with the symbology and the scripts but also you know i talk about one of the art young artists that um explained to me that he's he comes from another dimension and his artwork is to actually activate more perception so that when you look at it it literally activates more of your awareness which is you know another way it's happening it's happening on from all these different levels and also i've been told by the the, the children that everything is um elevating its consciousness so the animals also are having an elevated consciousness which i assume will go on to the plants etc etc as well so the whole planet itself with us on it and everything on it is being activated to go to that next level. So, you know, we've chosen to come here. It's an amazing time. So I think it's a really exciting time and whatever goes on, um, I believe on another level, our soul is perfectly ready for, because when people say to me, oh, I don't know um, if I'm doing the right thing. Have I, you know, am I doing everything I should be doing? And I said, I'm, you have to understand your soul isn't gonna let you miss the bus. It's worked too hard to get you here in the first place. So chill, because you will know what to do when you need to do it. And you don't know what you're doing on other levels anyway. You might be out of body every night, assisting with all those other, other souls that need, need a little bit of help. For example, you don't know what you're doing out of body as well. If you're waking up tired, you've probably been very busy. So um, the, the thing is to trust to trust you're being led where you need to go. And it's all orchestrated in my, I can't believe the things that have occurred in my life where I just sat there and thought, well, how on earth did that happen? I mean, I don't, you know, and I'll be blown away by something really strange going on. And I'm thinking, well, how on earth did that occur? Because I, I, I wasn't aware on a conscious level about that. It's almost like there's, 
this other level of uh, activation from my super conscious that says, right, we'll have Mary over here now. And she thinks she's going that way, but actually she's going to be going that way because we're going to make sure she does. It's, it's, it's all there. It's all there. So chill, chill, you know, and, and trust that, that knowing in you that you're doing exactly what you were meant to be doing right at this moment in time in whatever way it is, but come from heart, come from love. And you can't go wrong, really, can you? If you're going on with that frequency, you know, there isn't more you can do than that. So chill. That's a difficult lesson for most people to learn. It is. That's like being told you can uh, have a vacation, but also catching a spanking at the same time. <laughs> Yes, I was born last century when those things still existed. Spankings. <laughs> yeah. Um, because when you're in that moment, and that energy is just really vibrating, and you hear that nice high-pitched squeal, and you're buzzing with it, after that, Rest can seem like punishment. Like, where did it go? Yeah. Let's go on to the next step, which serves the point that we're really children throughout our entire lives. We may be more sophisticated at how we have learned to exude our three-year-old persona, but the idea that um, the excitement of the next movement, it's still there. Is that a detractant or an aid? Well, we're, the, we talk about the programming. The program on this planet is you've got to do. You've got to be forever engaged in something. That's how we're driven on this planet is you've got to continually search, seek, work, the whole thing about being still and not still watching telly necessarily. I'm not meaning that kind of still. I'm talking about the still where you reappraise where you're at, where you look at your life and decide, okay, what is it that matters to me? All those things, the one thing with what's going on now is more and more people have been forced, if you like, to do exactly that, to reappraise what's important. And that's the benefit that I see with what's happening right now is people are looking at, and they're being faced with their fears. Are you gonna let fear drive you, for example? Or are you going to challenge that? And if you're gonna challenge that, how are you going to challenge that? So it's getting us to look at things from a completely different perspective. And being still means you, you know, you're not going to play tennis or you're not going off to go and watch, uh, see a film or whatever. What matters? Oh, well, what really matters is my family's okay and that I'm, I'm there with them and that we're doing things as a family again. So it's, it's getting a whole, it's forcing much of the population to reappraise what's important and that's the family and what really matters to me. Is this job really what I want to do um, now? 
because everything's changed. And it, it, you know, whichever way we look at it now, our psyche has changed from, from what's happened, whether you believe in what's going on or not, or you see it as a manipulation, um, which I do, but anyway, um, I'm just seeing this challenging me once again, as it's challenging all of us to face our fears. What's the biggest fear? Oh, I might die. I've always laughed about that a little bit because I'll tell you, I've always said that if somebody said to me, Mary, on this date, you're going to die. So I would, um, what do I do? Do I go out and carry on as normal or do I stay in bed and the ceiling falls on me? Because one way or another, if you're going to die, you're going to die. So why worry? You know, it's like nobody knows when that is. So are you going to stop living for the possibility that ultimately you're going to die we're all going to die at some point you know and often it takes us by surprise so you know that's that's okay isn't it are you going to stop living because you're afraid that somehow or another you may die otherwise if you go out the door or if you do this that and the other this is really getting people to decide whether they're letting their fear drive them or whether or not they're going to trust in their soul journey that you're here for as long as you need to until your soul has achieved what it's come here to achieve. Then you don't worry, do you? Because you know that's that's how it is all panned out anyway. Sometimes the most difficult thing for people though is taking that first step, that breaking out of the vacillation, that lukewarm vibration that really doesn't do anything other than kind of keep us to me, that's purgatory. Stuck in a place that you can't get out because you can't make a decision. Yeah. Those intimate fears um, will cause the most damage. They're not based on a conscious introspection, but on the idea of what if. How do we get off the couch then? I, th I think the only way that I've come to terms with my mortality really is the fact that I believe my soul has come here with a job to do, um, certain things to achieve. And that when I've achieved what I've come here to do, then I'll move on. Um, and that fits for me. I absolutely trust the journey, whether that means I'm here till I'm 105 or I'm here till tomorrow when I cross the road and a bus hits me. The bottom line is my soul has done what it's come here to do. And because I know in my heart that that's just the beginning of a new adventure, because my, all the past life work that I've done with people shows me really clearly that we go through many, many different lifetimes with lots of learning. We connect with our soul family in the meanwhile, um, in a non-physical state. I've absolutely no, no sense of fear of that, other than the fact that I've chosen now to go to a new phase of my spiritual adventure. So I think for me, the, my, the evidence I think is evidence, and I'm not saying everybody else will think past lives are an evidence or whatever, but I've done enough research for, for it to catalyze into something that makes sense to me, that resonates with me. 
Um, but I just feel like once you come to terms with that, and this is this is all it is, is I've I've done what I've come here to do, then really the fear goes. And I'm very at peace, whether it's tomorrow or whether or not it's in 20 years time or whatever, you know, that I've achieved what I've come here to do. I mean, a lot of those that say when they're visited by, a, um, you know, one of the family or if it's a child, for example, that's died and uh, they've connected to them, often the child will say, that's what I needed to come to do because it got you on a different path. It got you thinking oh. in a different way. And that was my job this time. That's why I was only here for five years, was because from my death, you experience, all of you were impacted in ways that got you thinking with a new perspective and a new trajectory. That was my role this time. But I might come back as your great grandson, or I might come back as your great granddaughter, because that's what I'm seeing as the cycle of life, lives is that we just recycle. I mean, the, there are, the young man that described that he wrote, he did artwork um, to activate perception told me that he had all these dreams in uh, the First World War where he was drafted into, into the war. And he was an artist then. He'd come in with the mandate to do artwork to be a catalyst for perception but he, he was drawn into the First World War as a so soldier because he had this whole thing about soldiers and uniforms and all this stuff. And he couldn't understand why he had all these dreams. And eventually he remembered that he had gone into the war and was killed in the war. And because he was killed in the First World War, he hadn't achieved his full soul mandate. So he'd come back this time so he could do the artwork that he was supposed to do um, at that time and it hadn't happened. So you're seeing these, these soul agendas that are saying, right, I'm going to try and achieve it here, or I'm going to try and achieve it there. I talk about a, a lady who came in with these handicaps, like these implants, and uh, she wanted them removed. And I, we found out that these had come because she'd done a deal with beings when she was in a concentration camp so many years before. And I said, so what was the deal? They would help me then. So, but I, in, I was prepared to take these um, limits this time round. So we, we managed to move the limits because it was time. And I went back to her some years later and I said, have you got any more understanding of that? And she said, oh yes. She said, all of that was orchestrated when in my Egyptian life, where I decided that I would have that in the concentration camps and from the concentration camps i would have that in this life so she'd huh. gone back two lifetimes to get the understanding of why she would had those limits in this life and then it was time to remove them once she had the insight allowed her then to release them so she'd orchestrated that two lives ahead of herself except for the fact that there's no time so it's actually all at the same time, because that's the other thing that comes in that does my head in, is that everything's operating at the same time. It's not linear at all. They say time, it, it, we only create it as a linear thing, but actually everything is now. So we're impacting each other in the now through all the lifetimes anyway. So that does my head in. So I don't know about the people, but anyway. It might be interesting to draw all of that into just one. <laughs> 
for about 20 seconds just to have an understanding of it. Well, she did because it, she'd seen the, the timeline and she'd seen that what she'd orchestrated or set up in those other two timelines, this is what, and that's what blew me away and helped me understand that as a soul, we're creating all the time and we can operate in other timelines. Like I've taken people into that space and they've seen themselves in an, another timeline or a parallel reality where they may have five kids and they may be male instead of female and they can see themselves in that life 